today we start 40 days of hearing God. First sermon in the six weeks is hearing God. And Revelations 3.20, Jesus says to his people, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This is a message to his people, to the church. It's not a message to the world. It's not a message to sinners. It is a message to believers, to his very own people. He says, I am knocking, will you open? If you will open, hear my voice, respond, opening the door to me, I will come in. We will have true communion. We will sup together, which is the Hebrew equivalent of perfect communion. Amen? Amen. By the way, I think that might be the Italian uh, interpretation as well. It's like, come eat, eat. Anyway, <clears throat> so um, as we move forward, we are spending 40 days tuning in to hear God better and better and better, to get more clearly what is God's purpose, God's will, God's uh, uh, guidance, you know, for me to move forward in life. And so Jesus is calling us. He's inviting us to communion. We are opening our hearts by opening our ears. He's going to provide us with true communion. We will have 40 days. That is a biblical number for testing. But we are going to finish our 40 days and be promoted. Amen? So the prototype for what is happening in these 40 days, the prototype for Revelations 3.20, him knocking on the door, comes to us from Father Abraham. I can go back to Genesis 22.1, and it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. You see, God calls his sheep by name. Notice God tested Abraham. What was the test? What was it? Abraham. And Abraham said, yes, Lord. He heard the Lord calling him. That's what we're doing, people. For 40 days, we are responding to heaven. Heaven is calling us into a much more definitive communion than ever before. Amen? So here it is. He tested Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. If you remember Isaiah, Isaiah saw himself as a sinner. He says, Isaiah 6, he says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He says, I'm doomed 
because I'm seeing God. He's seeing God draw close. There's a proximity, and it's scaring him, if you will, because he sees how unholy he is. But then God sends an angel with a coal from his altar to touch Isaiah's lips, and he purges that sin away. And then Isaiah hears the heavenly trinity, the Father and Son speaking like, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's response was, here I am. Send me, Lord. This is what we are after, hearing God, knowing we're forgiven, knowing the sin is purged, knowing he's calling from heaven. We can say, here I am, Lord, send me, and then my sheep hear my voice, and then they follow me. The goal here, is to, be, to be clear, is more obedience to heaven. Hearing God's will and conforming our actions to do his will. Amen? Amen. So, uh, God calls, Abraham opens, and the after effect is this, Genesis twenty-two sixteen. we're jumping forward half a chapter, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you and multiply, I will multiply you and your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their, the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice." The key is to hear God and follow him. This is what we're after. 40 days of hearing God. We're going to draw near to God, and he is going to draw near to us. We are investing ourselves, spirit, soul, and body, more fully than ever before, perhaps. And in investing more fully, we will be finding more fully. Amen? So notice that God's blessing comes on Abram and his posterity, but it comes because he obeyed my voice. The same is true for you and me. We need to be clear on the meaning of the word obey. In the English language, the word obey is derived from joining two thoughts together, and those thoughts are to come under the hearing. In the Hebrew language, the word obey means to come under the hearing. In the Greek language, the word obey means to come under the hearing. In the Russian language, the word obey means to come under the hearing. In Turkey, the word obey means to come under the hearing. 
In Poland, the word obey means to come under the hearing. In Ireland, the word obey means to come under the hearing. Am I getting my point across? The word obey means the voice of God is heard. And I respond. He's calling, we're opening. Amen? And then the blessing of God falls on those who hear his word and obey. Thank you, Jesus. God operates by his word, always has, always will. Everything he's created is by his word. Everything he sustains is by the power of his word. God is a word God. He operates that way. God says, light be, and then there is light. What God speaks is he's calling things that be not as though they were. Amen? Gideon, oh mighty man of valor, and Gideon doesn't see a mighty man of valor in the mirror. He's confused. But God calls things that be not as though they were. God has called you and me in, in, in such ways that nobody can see it yet. Hello? That doesn't mean it's not so. It means it will become evident as we hear God and respond to his voice. In God's creation account, he gives what is called the Genesis mandate to mankind. He creates man, and in chapter 1, God says, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion. This is the dominion mandate. God created man to be his co-regent. God owns the planet. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But God has given management of the planet to his creation, Adam, or humankind. That is to say, you and I are supposed to be the head, not the tail. We're supposed to be above, not below. We are supposed to be the co-regent with heaven, having subdued and taken dominion in planet Earth. So this is the purpose of God, but we don't see it as fully as we should see it. Of course, the co-regency with God was lost at the fall of man. Satan showed up shortly after chapter 1, and he came with his cunning to deceive Adam and Eve. In fact, it starts telling us in uh, Genesis 3 at verse 1, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said, so whatever he's about to say is going to be spoken cunningly. That is to say, there's a, a, a malicious intent behind whatever is going to now be said. It says, and he said to the woman, 
Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So the devil introduces a distraction from what God has actually said. He adds the word every. And so he begins by warping the picture and the understanding because ultimately he is a mind blinder. And the way that he's going to blind your mind is to get your focus off what did God actually say? Not what's close to what he said or meant, but what did he actually say? Because that is what I need to obey. That exactly is what I need to follow. And so certain begins his cunningness and he moves the dialogue away from the actual statement of God. And by doing this, he pulls Eve into his trap. She now starts to add to the word of God. This is her response, chapter 3, verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it lest you die. That is true. But she inserts a whole other thought. She says, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. He has successfully moved her mind off what God has actually said. He's got them right where he wants them. Now he goes on and he introduces the big lie, which is to say, you're not really going to die. That's God withholding from you. If you eat that tree, you're going to be just like he is. You will become like God. And so they, Adam and Eve, wanting to be like God, eat of the fruit, and the devil has mankind exactly where he wants them. Adam has bought into the lie along with Eve, and here is the immediate result. Very significant, Genesis 3.10. God has come out and said, Adam, where are you, guy? And he said, verse 10, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Men have been running and hiding from God ever since. It is a fearsome thing to hear from a holy God because he sees your nakedness. He sees you as you are. No covering. You can't, no place to hide. You, he sees you exactly as you are, and that is scary. Men don't like it, and so they shut their ear to heaven. They don't really want to hear from God. He is scary. They're afraid. But you and I, we are the church of God. We are the forgiven 
of God. We are those whose mouths have been touched by the coal from the altar of God. Our sin is purged. We are forgiven, and we are not afraid. We have Jesus knocking on our door saying, may I come in? And in the next 40 days, like never before, we are saying, bring it on, Jesus. Yes, Lord, come in. Talk to me. Talk to me. I will not hide. I will not run. I want to hear from heaven. Amen to that, church? Amen. And so Jesus came to undo what was lost in the garden, the Genesis mandate. Man as co-regent with God is not standing throughout the old covenant. Jesus comes to reintroduce the Genesis mandate that you would be a steward with God over his planet, that you would be helping him manage his affairs. You're the ones having his kingdom come and his will be done right here on earth, just the way it is in heaven. You are his co-regents as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we're not afraid, and Jesus came to bring us back into that relationship with God, just like Adam and Eve had. In the beginning, God would step into the garden every single day, and Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the cool of the day. In Hebrew, that's in the ruach of the day, ruach is, is uh, typically, normally, translated as spirit. Amen? So, John chapter 10, verse 3. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, that was the test. He calls his sheep by name and leads them out. That's our test. He's calling you today. He's calling you. He wants to lead you out, but we have to follow him. Amen? He leads them out, verse 4, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet, they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Hallelujah. I know that we have, uh, over the years, reflected many times on what is it to worship God in spirit and in truth, for such the Father seeks. Jesus makes that very clear. God is after people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. That's why Pastor Ralph had to preach on rationalism. You can't worship God rationally. So rationalism and mysticism. If I can get heaven's input and understand it, rationally, then I can worship God in spirit. Not in my mind. I can worship God in spirit and in 
truth. And here's the key that I'm bringing out today. Jesus said, God's word is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. You and I cannot know truth except by God's word. Jesus said, if you uh, hear my word and obey my word, uh, you will be my disciples. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen? So his sheep are those who are seeking to worship God in spirit, not just mentally, not just, okay, I agree, God, but in spirit and in truth. Amen? So key verse, this one you should underscore. It's John 18, 37. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Listen, listen, listen. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. When you want the truth more than anything, you will hear God. Somebody help me here. Not what I want to hear, but when I hear the truth, that truth will set me free. I will hear heaven. And when I hear heaven and obey heaven, God's blessing falls on me and my posterity. Amen? Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. Jesus makes the voice of the Father known. How many remember Jesus saying, when I talk to you, my disciples, it's not my words, it is the Father's words, because I'm not saying anything to you that I didn't first hear from the Father. He says it, I repeat it. The Father wills it, Jesus is the word who speaks it. Jesus here in John chapter 16, we're going to read at verse 12. This is the Last Supper. Jesus is just about finished with the season of time on earth. It's over. He has said to them, I am leaving, and it is to your advantage that I'm leaving, because when I leave, I will send you the spirit of truth. And he will be with you. He will be in you. John 16, 12 I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Do you understand? The Father wills it. The Son speaks it. The Spirit in you repeats it and shows you things to come, talks to you about your future, your legacy, your destiny, your outreach in life, your mission, your purpose, your path. Amen? Amen. And so 
by way of review, we got Abraham. He's our example. God says, Abraham. And he says, here I am. What's up, God? And then he does what God says, and God blesses his socks off. Amen. Against that, we have, by contrast, Israel that constantly had the opportunity to hear God, but constantly closed their hearts and their ears to him. Amen? Reflecting on that uh, unfortunate set of circumstances, the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 3 and chapter 4 brings up the fact that the Israelites were not ready to hear God's voice. He says this in chapter 3 of Hebrews at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. That statement is repeated in verse 15 of chapter 3. It's repeated again in verse 7 of chapter 4. The theme is moving on, and the conclusion from the book of Hebrews in chapter 4 at verse 11 is this. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. That is to say, let us never be guilty of shutting our ears to the Word of God, shutting ourselves off from hearing heaven. Verse 12, for the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You need the Word of God before you can ever know yourself. Jeremiah says, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You cannot know yourself. Humankind is in a predicament. You cannot know yourself, but the Holy Ghost knows you. And he can teach you everything you need to know about you. But it takes the Word of God to separate between what is my soul and what is my spirit. It takes the Word of God to separate between the thoughts of my heart, the intents of my heart. Somebody help me here. I can't honestly know the will of God without the Word of God piercing to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow, thoughts and intents within my own heart. That's the goal over these next 40 days, that God who knows us completely can reveal us to ourselves. Amen? As I, uh, let me be honest here. It is dangerous to say to heaven, show me me. Because we're not as cool as we think. Hello? Shine light on me. 
Okay, so I stopped picking on them. So I stopped blaming them. God talked to me about me. And that's where change comes from. That's where promotion comes from. It's dangerous, but it's necessary. Otherwise, we will live confused forever. On, off, up, down, in, out. You know what I'm saying? Bright, dark. It's just change, 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 change. Just blown about all the time by whatever's happening around us as opposed to being held steadfast by the anchor that we have in Christ Jesus. And so, in closing, God points us to his word. He says, open your ear, incline your ear, and I will bring you true communion. We're going to be praying that over these 40 days, every one of us gives God complete access to our hearts. Amen? Here's your advice from Proverbs 4, verses 20 to 23. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Take that memory verse and keep it in front of you. Write it down on sticky notes or three-by-five cards and stick it on the fridge, stick it on the mirror, stick it on your uh, dashboard, whatever. It's like memorize the verses, uh, meditate on the meditations, the, the devotions and everything. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Why? For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Praise God. Bill, let me just isolate you. How would you like more abundant life? How would you like improved health? Hallelujah. Anybody else can say yes and amen. Lord, I could stand a dose of abundant life, a dose of greater health, a, a, a measure, a blessing, etc. My son, pay attention to my words. Don't let them get away from you. Keep your heart, verse 23, with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. I have, uh, every time we get near that verse, I explain this. It's so significant. The word issues here is used Old Testament six or eight times. I don't quite Remember, but I believe it's eight. In any event, every single usage of the Hebrew term here translated as issues is the word border or boundary, obviously meaning the same thing. So I need to restate this with that definition, with that understanding of the original language, the Hebrew. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the very boundaries of your life. You can only go so far until God expands your boundaries. Until God pushes out the tent pegs. Until God gives you extended reach. 
How many could, could stand some new horizons? Like, you know, been there, done that, same old, same old, looking for something a little <clears throat> more. That kind of a thing. You know, this is the season, people. God wants to enlarge your legacy. He wants to define your destiny. He wants to expand the tent pegs of your dominion. He wants to help us, promote us in these 40 days to increase in multiplication. Amen? Can we take this journey together? Amen. So, let's pray. Father, your word says that if we hear, if we open our ears, if we follow you, if we seek you with all of our heart, seek you with all of our mind, seek you with all of our strength, then we will be actively loving you. And as we seek you first, you and your righteousness, everything else will snap into place. As we seek you with all of our heart, we will indeed find you. As we draw near to you, you, Lord God, are drawing near to us. Bring us in these 40 days to that place where our horizons have been extended and pushed out, where our reach has also been extended and pushed out, where our legacy and destiny are defined and enlarged to where we have a whole new life adventure in pursuit of always hearing your voice, following your desire for our life as you lead us into that very purpose for which before the foundation of time you made each one of us. For we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are crafted as your masterpiece. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.